Welcome to The Legal Lowdown. I'm your host, Diana Baudet, and joining me today is education attorney Matt Plain to talk about handling employee return-to-work requests for Massachusetts schools. Matt, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, Diana. Thanks for having me. So this is obviously a very relevant and um, I think for our education clients, pressing issue right now. So maybe we should start with what type of requests are you seeing schools getting from employees? Great. Thanks for the question. And we're seeing the same types of requests or similar types of requests that we've always received. It's just we find ourselves in a different setting now, right? Yeah, things are more urgent. Exactly. And there's a novel virus, And that novel virus is affecting people's health. It's affecting people's comfort. Given the government directives and protocols for living and working, that's affecting us and that's affecting all of us. Um, Folks have different abilities or willingness to work these days. And there's been federal legislation that's been passed in response to this. In light of all this, at schools, we're seeing employees that are making essentially three main types of requests. They're making requests for leave, they're making requests for accommodations, and they're making requests for adjustments to either their work schedule or their work setting. Now, you'll hear folks categorize that as accommodations, but accommodations generally is a term of art that's used in the Americans with Disabilities Act or with Massachusetts General Law Chapter 151B. That's a state analog to the ADA, the Americans with Disabilities Act. What do those requests look like in terms of a request for leave, accommodation, or adjustments? Can you explain what types you're seeing there? Sure. So generally with an adjustment, you'll have an employee with no known medical issues, no child care issues created by COVID or response to COVID, but who are uncomfortable or refusing to return to school to work. And then accommodations, we have folks that have a qualifying disability pursuant to the Americans with Disabilities Act or the state analog, and they're requesting a reasonable accommodation so that they may perform the essential functions of their job. And if they have a qualifying disability, then as employers were required to go through an interactive process with them to see if there's some accommodation that can be made that will in fact allow them to perform the essential functions of the job without an undue burden to the employer or to the school. Then we're seeing a request for leave for folks that have a COVID or COVID related illness that are subject to a state or federal mandated quarantine or caring for somebody with a COVID-related illness, or who are caring for children whose school or child care center has been closed or is otherwise not accessible due to COVID. Okay. So that must get tricky on the leave side, because I would imagine that in looking to the school year ahead, that leave could be necessarily off and on. They could be coming and going based on what pops up during the school year for quarantining in their own school or in their potentially their children's school. Uh, Is that something that schools need to plan for, for that possible repetition of leave requests from the same employee? Absolutely. They should plan for multiple requests. They should plan for requests from multiple employees. 
they should plan. What we're recommending that schools do is first take a look at your policies. In all likelihood, our schools already have policies in place for leave, already have policies in place for paid time off, whether that's sick or vacation or personal time. We're recommending that folks take a look at their policies and revise as necessary so that they account for COVID-related leave requests, COVID-related accommodations requests. First, the school should propose or contemplate revisions to these policies. Then they should ensure that the revisions go through the appropriate channels. Administration makes a recommendation to the governing body of the school uh, to adopt revisions to the policies or new policies. Those policies are adopted. Once those policies are adopted, including the procedures for requesting leave or accommodations, those should be disseminated uh, to, to all the employees. So the employees, the process is clear, the policy is clear, that promotes fairness, that promotes a process that's not discriminatory, and that promotes a process that employees are insured, or employees can be sure that even if the outcome is different for them, that the process was employed uniformly. Okay. Yeah. Very important. Matt, can you walk us through the steps that schools should take in handling all of this? Yeah. So the first thing that we're recommending that schools do is define the essential functions of each position. And the essential functions are those tasks that any person in this position may be able to do. We're recommending that schools do this before they start receiving requests. That would be ideal. And the reason why is the essential functions of a job are going to drive how you handle requests for leave, for accommodations, or for adjustments to work schedules or work settings. So that should be done first. Pre-COVID, that was a little bit easier to do, obviously, because if you were a classroom teacher, it went without saying that your job required you to be in your classroom teaching your students in person and live and in real time. We didn't say that in a job description pre-COVID. COVID came from mid-March through the end of last school year. Everybody was mandated to do some form of distance or remote learning. As we approached the opening of the 2020-2021 school year, and there's going to be different models of delivery, hybrid, some distance learning, all distance learning or in-person learning. We're seeing requests for working remotely or continuing to do distance learning. In some instances, that may be fine. In some instances, you may have students that are coming back to the school. If they're coming back to the school, presumably you're going to need teachers in the building teaching live and in-person. So we need to define those essential functions for each position, including where those functions will be carried out or delivered. That's step one. Do that. Do that for each and every job. That's a large undertaking, but we can assure you that it will be worth it when that happens. Because if you define the essential functions in response to a request for leave for an accommodation or for an adjustment, it could appear to an employee that you're defining it as such merely in response and not because it's the actual need or the function of the job. So for clarity, for consistency, for fairness, 
it's best to do that before. Second step, and we, I call it the second step, but really it's something you do simultaneous with defining the essential functions of this job. And I already touched upon this. That's modifying your policies to ensure that it reflects these types of leave that we might see, these types of accommodations and requests for adjustments to work schedules or settings. Your standard leave policies don't contemplate or probably didn't contemplate our current scenario. So do that. Um, Like we said earlier, get this done um, through the appropriate channels, have it approved by your board and, and disseminate. If you don't have policies that reflect this, then we'll have the proverbial round peg, the COVID related leave request, trying to fit in a square hole, which is your non-COVID standard leave or accommodation policy. It will be best. It will be more efficient. It will be more fair. It will be more clear if your policies reflect that. I'm saying all this again because we can't stress it enough. In addition to that, as part of your policies and procedures, ensure that there's a consistent small group or individual who will handle and manage this process. The reason why we recommend carrying out in that manner, if you have one person or a small group of people that are responsible for the process, it will be more likely to ensure consistency and uniform application. Consistency and uniform application are good because again, it promotes fairness, it promotes clarity, it ensures to the extent possible that we remain non-discriminatory and it will be a process that hopefully employees can feel comfortable that even if the outcome's different, that they went through the same process that others similarly situated went through. Okay. And should the essential functions, the revised definition of those and um, the, the process of taking these requests and recording them, you mentioned having a small team, where are they recording this information? Should that be kept in each employee's file? Does it need to be? I assume it all needs to be documented and tracked. It needs to be documented and tracked. And it also should be disseminated and shared openly with the employee. This isn't a secret to the employee. This is something that should be known. And if there's not an employee in that position yet, it should be part of the requirements of the posting. Uh, definitely. Uh, we want to be open with this on two fronts. One, we're going to be open with our school community and our employees about the process and the policies and the procedure. And we're going to be open with the employees about what's expected, uh, what type of requests they're making, and how we're going to handle it. And, and also, we want to be consistent. Can you give me an example within those types of requests, leave, accommodation, and adjustment, of some examples of specific requests within those areas that you've seen? Sure. Let's start with requests for reasonable accommodations under the Americans with Disabilities Act. You have an employee, and that employee has a medical condition or disability, a qualifying medical condition or disability and they ask for reasonable accommodation so that they can continue to work, you are required to engage in an interactive process with that employee. So there's an employee that's at extremely high risk with respect to COVID because of some underlying condition. Because of that, they cannot come to the building because of this increased risk, and they ask to work from home. 
you engage in this process. The part of that process is determining first what the essential functions of the job are. If the essential functions of the job are such that they need to manage data and that data is kept on the cloud. And although in the normal course, they would have come into the building and they would have sat in a, at a desk in a room in your building and done that job, that doesn't necessarily mean that the essential functions of the job require them to be sitting in that seat. There may be other reasons why you had them sitting in that seat, but if the school determines that it's not an essential function for them to be in the building doing that, managing that data, a school may contemplate providing that person the accommodation that is working remotely or from home in managing that data, so long as that reasonable accommodation allows the person to fulfill the essential functions of the job, which are managed in the data, and it doesn't result in an undue burden to the school. And an undue burden can be an unreasonably high cost or something that would otherwise disrupt the orderly operations or something to that effect. What would happen if the school has a request for an accommodation that is reasonable and the individual does have a medical condition that um, allows that request, but once they do the essential function review, they realize they can't meet the accommodation in that position any longer for that individual. How can schools respond to something like that? Great question. So we've determined that this person has a qualifying disability. They've made a request for an accommodation. It, on its face, standing alone without analyzing anything else, appears reasonable. And that is working from home. The essential functions of the job require that person to be in the building or require that position to be carried out within the building. The reasonable accommodation working from home in that case won't allow them to perform the essential functions of the job. In light of that, no, then the school would not be required to provide that accommodation. It could be categorized as not reasonable. It could be categorized as Although reasonable, it wouldn't allow the employee to carry out the essential functions of the job. Okay. And what are schools doing in that case? Because I would assume that puts the employee in the position of having to reconsider employment, and the school's probably not going to be very excited about that either. Are schools getting creative on shuffling positions or, or coming up with ways to fit employees that they can't accommodate into something different? They don't necessarily need to get creative because although that employee that we just discussed can't perform the essential functions of their job and therefore are not entitled to this, what they perceived as a reasonable accommodation, that doesn't mean that the employee is without some sort of relief. The Families First Coronavirus Response Act has emergency paid sick leave provisions it also has expanded family and medical leave provisions. If an employee cannot return to work and cannot telework because of a COVID or COVID-related illness, caring for someone with COVID or a COVID-related illness, caring for a child whose daycare or school has been closed or is not accessible, they may be entitled to emergency paid sick leave. In the emergency paid sick leave provision of the Families First Act, I'm going to call it FFCRA, 
allows up to 80 hours of paid sick time. After that, with respect to childcare, if let's say that an employee cannot return to work because the essential functions of their job require them to be in person and they have children at home who cannot go to their school, so they need to stay and take care of those children, they may be entitled beyond emergency paid sick leave, they may be entitled to expanded family and medical leave under FFCRA. So the employee that can't come or can't perform the essential functions of their job and therefore can't continue in the normal course with their job or can't work remotely, if they can't work in the building or they can't telework or work remotely, then they may be entitled to some sort of relief under FFCRA. If they're not entitled to some sort of relief under FFCRA, they may be entitled to relief under some of the state provisions that allow for leave, or there might be school-specific leave policies or entitlements, some sort of paid time off. That might be sick leave, that might be some sort of vacation leave, that might be some sort of personal time off. What kind of examples have you seen in the area of adjustments requests? Sure. And we categorize these as adjustments because these employees that are making these requests don't have qualifying disability. We're assuming for purposes of this question that the employee doesn't have a qualifying disability. So the school is not going to engage in interactive process under ADA or the mass analog. The person's not sick with corona or caring for somebody that's sick or caring for a child whose school's been closed because of COVID. And that person feels uncomfortable returning to work and is unwilling to return to work or at least return to work in the building and has made a request to work from home to work remotely or something along those lines. Now, their discomfort and unwillingness, that's completely understandable. We find ourselves in a challenging time. We find ourselves in an uncertain time, and we're all sifting through the guidance. We're all sifting through the research and the data, and it's understandable that we're going to get these types of requests. For those types of requests, an employer, a school, doesn't have a legal obligation to allow someone to work from home or work remotely. Further, once you start making those adjustments for employees, you may find yourselves making those adjustments for all those employees within a particular category. That may be fine depending on the category of job. It may not be because it may put the school or the employer in a position where they can't carry out their responsibility if they don't have folks that are coming into the building. Yeah, yeah. So if you had requests from, say, any teachers that were 50 to 60 years old because a few were requested it, then you could find yourself in trouble if all of the teachers in that age group decided they wanted the same adjustment. Or just all the teachers. Yeah. If it's a teacher that didn't otherwise fall under the ADA, didn't otherwise fall under FFCRA, and was making a request because of their comfort level and returning to work. Again, understandable if you make an adjustment to their work schedule or their work setting, then that's gonna serve as at least some precedent for the next request that comes. And the more unique requests you make when you're not legally required to engage in a particular process or to afford some amount of leave, 
the more difficult it's going to get to be flexible. So if schools are going to undertake that process and entertain those types of adjustments, that's not unreasonable. In fact, it, it's probably good to at least have a process for evaluating those types of requests, but we're cautioning folks to be extra careful with the process. And that's why we always say, define the essential functions of the job at the outset because if the essential functions of the job require something and somebody makes an adjustment that deviates from that, you're going to be hard-pressed to respond in a manner that the employee is comfortable with. That's, that's just going to be tough. Yeah. And I think, too, the things that you've mentioned are consistency. So defining the essential function and having a specific process in place will ensure consistency and also keep your eye on the ball in terms of setting precedent. So be very thoughtful in each decision you make and sort of, it sounds to me like you need to be comfortable and committed to, if you're offering it to one, you're going to have to potentially offer it to more. Yes. And we have to ensure the delivery of education to the students. And that takes the classroom teachers, that takes the rest of the faculty, the staff, uh, that takes the entire school community in order to deliver that appropriately. And so we have to ensure that people can do their jobs. And there's going to be instances when people can't and they may be entitled to some sort of leave. There's going to be instances where people can, but they need an accommodation and you as the school can provide that accommodation. And then there's going to be instances where people are unwilling. And there's going to be hard decisions that schools are going to have to make. And not everyone's going to be happy. And we need to accept that. And it's going to be received, I would say, better if schools are open and transparent with their process before these requests start coming in. That's tough because we know they're coming in fast and furiously already. But to the extent that that process can be solidified, it can be implemented uniformly, that will promote fairness, consistency, all the things we've talked about. Okay. Yeah, do you see, um, I, I sort of have one question out of curiosity and then another, I'm going to make you predictor of the future. Do you see these requests only increasing throughout the coming school year? Or do you think the requests are all being made now before the school year starts? If I had to guess, I'd say we'd see increased requests as the school year proceeds. Because we don't know if there's some form of in-person learning, we don't know what that's going to look like. And it's one thing to envision it, but comparing it to pre-COVID, it's going to look vastly different. And so comfort levels may change, data may change, information about COVID may change, or information about folks' underlying conditions may change, or their Particular scenarios at home may change. They may find themselves uh, caring for somebody with COVID or with a school closure. So all that's going to change. So they're likely getting a spike. I hesitate to use that word in these requests right now as we anticipate the opening. But we don't anticipate that those requests will go away after school starts. Well, we're expecting a steady stream throughout the year, at least throughout the time that we're doing a version of learning that looks different than we did pre-COVID. Okay. So that was my request for you to predict the future. Just out of curiosity, can you give us an estimate 
of how much these requests for leave accommodation or adjustments have increased pre-COVID to now with COVID? Oh, exponentially. Since, okay. yeah, if we compared year over year, it's not even close. Yeah. Okay. Matt, can you share for, to our listeners and for clients um, some pitfalls that schools should absolutely avoid um, in responding to these kinds of requests? Yes. Failure to document and reinforce essential functions of positions. Do that. Can't stress it enough. Inconsistent application of essential functions analyses. Just do the process the same. Again, you're not going to have the same outcome for everybody, but do the process similarly for the same types of requests. Uh, failure to engage in the interactive process. Uh, we saw that pre-COVID anyway. We'll likely see that pitfall. If an employee has a qualifying disability, we're required to engage in the interactive process. And that's when we start discussing what we may be able to do so they can perform the essential functions of the job. You want to do that and you want to be able to show that you did that. Uh, so folks need to be doing that. You can't feel the requests, respond by phone and say, we can't do that. That's not the interactive process. And of course, and I know I've said it many times throughout the course of our discussion, the failure to apply policies uniformly. Have the policies, revise them as needed, disseminate the information to your employees and ensure you go through the process that you say you're going to go through. Now, that's you're being open with your community when you're doing that. That doesn't mean you're open with your entire community about a request. John Doe makes a request and you don't put it on the listserv about his request. That's something that is protected by confidentiality and privacy considerations. That's not usually a, a, a big challenge for schools to keep things private between an employee and the employer. But we do want to stress that because we talk about openness a lot. When we do that, we mean about the process. That doesn't mean you're open with the entire school community about what one person may be requesting or asking for. Okay. And documentation, I assume that's another big one. Document everything. Document everything. Yeah. And in some instances, there's going to be less documentation. So with an accommodations request, the interactive process you want documented, and the ultimate outcome will be documented uh, for the employee. Uh, for request for leave under FFCRA, you may require some documentation uh, to show that they actually meet a component of FFCRA and are entitled to leave. After that, it's then they'll get it. All right. Well, great. This is very helpful. Thank you for joining me today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for having me. And for anyone looking for more information about Matt or a plentiful amount of podcasts and blog posts related to education law and COVID-19, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or search for us in most social media channels by searching Barton Gilman. Thanks for joining me. The content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal advice or to form an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to seek legal advice from a Barton Gilman attorney, please visit us at www.bglaw.com or call 888-273-9903 for more information. Barton Gilman serves clients throughout the Northeast with offices in Boston, Providence, and New York. 
offering legal services in a wide variety of matters, including medical and other professional liability defense, premises liability and business litigation, education law, employment, family law, insurance coverage, trust and estates, criminal defense, corporate formation, and intellectual property. The firm and its attorneys have received numerous awards and accolades, including Best Lawyers, Best Law Firms, Best Places to Work Rhode Island, Outstanding Philanthropic Business, the Common Good Award, and Super Lawyers. For more information about Barton Gilman, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or call us toll-free at 888-273-9903.